0: Hey, there's a real replicant. I tell you what, Dave, I didn't understand you, but my microwave perked right up.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Is she free on Tuesday night?
2: This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support? High performance? All backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your tests passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's Codeship. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fuss-free, continuous delivery, check them out at Codeship.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues podcast. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 170 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. I am not a replicant. Saran Bark.
3: Hey, everybody.
2: David Brady. Some medicines can change the effect of this podcast. Check with your doctor or pharmacist before taking any other podcasts. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a few special guests. We have Arthur Chu. Hey, what's up? Nathan Eskenazi.
4: Hey, everybody.
2: And Dario Cravero. Hey, everybody. You guys want to introduce yourselves really quickly?
5: Nate, do you want to go first?
4: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Nathan. I was one of the original kind of founders of Padrino with Arthur Chu and uh, Davide. And, um, we created Padrino, I think maybe like more, five or six years ago now. And, uh, been watching its development ever since, uh, helping maintain it. And, uh, we have kind of a lot of new core contributors. But nowadays I'm, uh, working on a company called CodePath, which, uh, teaches mobile, iOS, and Android to, uh, senior engineers. Uh, in the Bay Area. Awesome. Arthur?
6: I'm a Ruby developer. I work at GitHub. Yeah, so as Nathan said, we worked in Padrino a while back, so
5: that's about it. That <laughs> right. That's quick. I'm Dario, and uh, I've been in Padrino for a while now and using it since ages. And same thing as guys, I'm working uh, in another company called Content Kingdom that we started a while ago and uh, just trying to contribute to make the best out of the framework. Cool. So Padrino means godfather, right?
2: Yeah. And called it Godfather because... That was initially
6: uh, David's idea. And the idea was, since we're building on top of Sinatra, we would have all these uh, extra modules to put on top. So he came up with the idea of sort of... Uh, well, we came up with the idea of the term Godfather, since you can pretty much use Sinatra's base and have all these things working for you. And then David suggests, well, let's use the Italian word. Because Godfather is kind of hard to Google for a Ruby library, but Pedrino... Actually worked out pretty well, so that's how we ended up with that name.
1: Are you going to follow the the Godfather convention and have Padrino be pretty good, but Padrino Two is going to be the defining classic? <laughs> we can definitely do that.
2: Okay, <laughs> nice. So we brought you on the show mainly because we uh, we did an episode a while back. We were talking about the dichotomy between Rails and Sinatra we had a whole bunch of people come in and say, hey, wait a minute, what about Padrino? And since uh, I hadn't really done a whole lot with Padrino, I'd heard of it, and it's kind of the same across the board with the panel, you know, nobody had done a whole lot with it. We thought we'd bring some uh, folks in to talk about it, and tell us what this third option is. Where does it fit between Sinatra and Rails?
0: Yes. Why are you trying to make
6: Sinatra more like Rails? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or more like, you know, why do we love Sinatra so much that we just want to bring some of the things from Rails back into Sinatra? It's more like it.
2: Oh, no. Every Sinatra project I've had, I've done that. Yeah,
6: exactly. So, I mean, we obviously, we really enjoy working at Sinatra and um, a while back, it actually started from something called Sinatra More that Nathan and I worked on and it turned into this actual framework called Padrino. But um it happens all the time. You want to start with like a simple app with Sinatra. And then there's some features that you want from Rails and some you don't, and then you end up kind of duplicating the effort. And then that's where we are today. It's sort of like this middle ground where I can still keep that Sinatra syntax that a lot of people enjoy and the simplicity of it, yet at the same time, if I need something more advanced like form helpers or like caching or whatnot, I can just cherry pick it and put it into my app without having to go full-blown Rails and abandoning my Sinatra app.
2: Interesting. So it just adds in a whole bunch of stuff that you would have gotten in Rails? I'm assuming there's a little more to it than that.
6: Yes, I mean, there is. There is stuff that adds onto the routes to make it a lot more, I guess, versatile, free to use. So like, if you want some kind of controller namespaces, Padrino adds that to you as well. But another one of the big features, too, is our generators. So with the Padrino generators, I can... Incorporate a lot of different setups. So let's say I wanted to pick a certain ORM. I could currently, we can integrate things like SQL, Mongoid, Active Record. There's a few more. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we also do the same thing with like just renders, right? So if you want to slim, Hamil or ERB, you can choose it right off the initial command line command padrino g project and you can pre-select that. And that will scaffold your project with all these different options that you want for that.
5: Yeah. And the good thing as well with the components there is that you can swap them around once you start using your application as well. The command line also helps you to do that, uh, which is not that hard to do anyways. But in, you know, any other application, you would have to do that by hand. And uh, we've also taken care uh, of that throughout the last releases. Okay. So I'm, I'm really uh, curious about
0: some of the details of, of those things. Like lately, I tend to write apps in Sinatra and then usually find myself adding persistence using the SQL library. And so, like, what does that look like in Padrino? How much are you adding in? So mm-hmm. when you use generators
6: to generate SQL in, it's essentially just creating the template code for you. So it'll add a line to the gem file for SQL, and you can also choose your adapter, Postgres, MySQL, whatever. And then it'll just put, like, the code in for it to work in your app. So that's pretty much it. Like, it's not, like, an extra library coming in. It's just putting the SQL library in and some of the code to make it work with the app. So, you're talking about some, I mean, if you
0: like, like for, profit. for
6: SQL, like what's, what kind of code uh, oh. is needed to make it work? So, you have the SQL connection that you have to set mm-hmm. up. And if you like to use the models, you can also do that. So, by using the Pagino generator, I can later on do something like Pagino G model and it'll generate a SQL model for me and mm-hmm. also a migration, the SQL. Migrations. Okay. So, like, you're, you're also setting up the migrations conventions. Right. So, it's all there for you. But if you don't want to do it, you can also remove that as well. But. It just makes it easier for people to just get, get going. And
4: one thing I was going to add is that it actually has an intelligent understanding of the model system. So once you've picked a particular component, say you selected SQL and you generate your models, the model generators work with SQL out of the box. So it'll properly include the modules. It'll uh, use the correct column syntax. It actually understands the component you selected and every other choice you make from that point forward, whether you're generating a model test or a model or, you know, other aspects, It'll basically generate the standard templates for those for you automatically based on the components you picked.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, and something else probably to add on to the model generator is that that integrates very well with the admin that we have as well. So every model that you generate, we highlight it have then or could have um, a page in the admin and then you could manage it on the backend like that.
0: Oh, so you have you have some admin like admin UI that you add? Yeah, we do, yeah. Oh, that's super cool.
5: Yeah, it's been it's been changing quite a lot through time. The first version was you know a little bit outdated on that sense I'd say, and uh, we moved it and like I'd say a year ago or something to a Bootstrap version, and right now. Uh, towards 1.0, we are planning to actually make it even better and include a bunch of things that people have been asking for, like, say, uh, some either pagination support or something like that. People even talked about, like, say, relations between different models and uh, all of that just to make it, I'd say, slightly easier to keep on dealing with your data uh, right out of the box. What about with the
0: like rendering helpers? Like, if I want to add uh, Slim to my project, what sort of things is it setting
6: up? That's just adding a lot of slim into the, into the gem file. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, okay, this, so it's this, not like
6: adding new helpers or anything like there's that. There's a render method that pretty much is smart and knows that you you mean slim or whatever okay. gem is available, so it'll it'll re- render the correct templates.
5: Okay. Yeah, the, the cool thing about that as well is that when you use the helpers, then they are render agnostic, so you can use them and swap them around, and that should be fine. So
2: one thing that I'm seeing with Padrino, because I did look into it, I installed it on my machine and started fiddling with it, is that it's pretty agnostic as far as, you know, which ORM, which rendering engine, which whatever you put in there, does it have a set of defaults? Because I know Rails is somewhat less flexible that way. You can still substitute a lot of those things, but, you know, you just include them in your gem file and it, you know, it does rail tie stuff and it makes it go in. But it has kind of a default stack. Is there a default stack for Padrino?
4: There is actually. So for every, the the way it works is that when you generate a project, you can set up flags, but every flag is actually optional. So for example, if I just said Padrino G project test, then it would select uh, certain defaults for everything. So it would load in jQuery it would load in uh you know a mocking framework default it would load in our spec for testing so there are defaults and, and that were selected and if you want to change any of those defaults more than just adding them to the jump file you know you just you just set the flag on your on your project generator for any of those items and then it'll hook up everything accordingly based on that that component switch so it's basically uh you know it, it's fully agnostic but it supports all the popular components out of the box and if you if you don't care let's say you have you have no interest in thinking about those components then you just don't set the flags, so it does have a, a you know kind of our favorite or, or the most common uh, components out of the box without you having to actually tinker with if you don't care to.
2: What what are yeah, those components?
4: Like I can actually uh, let me let me kind of review the basic ones. I think uh, the most common ones I, I remember off the top of my head are uh, we have a generator for ORM. I think the default right now is basically SQL. Uh, we have RSpec jQuery for for JavaScript uh, rendering. Erebus, or ERB for rendering, uh, for templates. I think we just use no stylesheet library and no mocking library by default. So those are the, ma- the major things that are I- involved in choosing your project. ORM, test framework, uh, JavaScript library, rendering engine, stylesheet, and mocking framework. And uh, some of them we just leave off if you don't specify.
2: It seems like there are a couple of different ways that this kind of cross-sections So Rails versus Sinatra, we're talking about simplicity versus complexity. We're also talking about opinionated versus non-opinionated. You know, there are a few other ways that you can compare them. And I'm I'm trying to figure out where Padrino really fits in there. Is it more complicated than Sinatra and less complicated than Rails? It seems like it's a whole lot less opinionated than Rails. How do you kind of zone in and target where Padrino fits?
5: I wouldn't say that it's uh, more complicated than Sinatra, really, because... Um on, on that end, what we really add on top of that is a bunch of helpers that, you know, just uh, get you up and running quicker. On the other hand, like, um, as I said, you know, coming back a bit to the generators, I always say to people that it's better if they actually look at the different options that they have and try to make an educated guess towards what they want to use in that project. And I guess that's a decision that on that sense, you, also, you always do in Sinatra, say, right? And in Rails, most times you don't. It's, it's there and that's what you have to use. So I'd say that the complexity is not really there from the uh, kind of components you can choose and the likes, but it sort of forces you to understand those a bit better uh, if you really want to know what your application is doing.
4: Yeah, I would add to that that uh, I think it, it's more than just, it, there's more dimensions than just simple to complex.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, there's
4: also architectural decisions that you make with your app. So for example, one thing I think all of you probably experienced is that When you're building Rails apps, they often are not encouraged, but you tend to go down the path of one large app that does everything, right? The monolithic app. And so if you look at frameworks like Django or Sinatra, they encourage, you know, multiple apps, multiple small micro apps that are all relatively individual and independent and tested separately and modular. And so beyond just simple to complex, there's also the point of, you know, you can reduce complexity significantly by using a particular architecture which has a bunch of small, individually tested and maintained components. And so, for example, there are three things about Padrino that I think make it a much better architecture from an architectural perspective. One is uh, it's gradually complex. What that means is that uh, when you're working on Sinatra and all of a sudden I need a mailer, I just throw in the Padrino mailer and it works outside. The- it works immediately. If I need the renderer, I throw in the renderer. If I need helpers, I can throw in helpers. So Padrino can kind of gradually scale up with your Sinatra app as needed. Uh, it actually works outside of a Padrino app. You can just have a Sinatra-based app and then include these modules. And if you want all of the modules or most of the modules, then you can adhere to the Padrino folder con- configuration. But as I mentioned, every single aspect of Padrino can be removed by just commenting out a single line of code and uh, in include statement. So it's all kind of very explicitly loaded into the Sinatra system. And so because of that, it's a lot easier to understand because you only get what you need, and there are defaults, but as soon as you don't need that or if it's too much for your app, um, you, just, you just remove it. And the other aspect which makes it, I think, somewhat unique is that we have uh, the Django-style micro-app system where for each project rather than the project being one monolithic app where you have all your controllers in one folder uh, or or in subfolders or all your models in one folder, the way Padrino works is that it's actually mountable applications out of the box. And uh, the, the primary application is actually just one of many applications that you can build into a single project. And that's actually built from the ground up. So if you want to have you know four projects, one that's an API for authentication, one that's an API for your app, one that's a front-end, one that's the admin, you know, maybe load a blog module. All of these things are mountable uh, sub-applications from day one, and they're all tested separately. They're in separate namespaces. It's all organized for you automatically. Uh, so imagine, like, taking Sinatra, but, but adding the ability to kind of combine all of these Sinatra applications together in a very specific way. And on top of that, we even make apps gemified automatically. So if you generate a project and you flag dash dash gem uh what will happen is that it will actually package your project and your apps as fully functional gems with you know runnable binaries properly configured with you know lib folder test folder the whole gem thing and basically you can push those gems to ruby gems and load them into your padrino project with just a single line of code so th- the whole focus of padrino isn't just about making it uh, easier to use Sinatra, but also to encourage best practices, create, you know, more intelligent conventions for how to store your files within a Sinatra app, and essentially just help people avoid all of the pitfalls of the complexity that happens in Sinatra apps after a while. A lot of people, you know, joke that any sufficiently complex Sinatra app is either extremely messy or it's reinventing Rails. Mm. And I actually think that you can you can avoid both of those things. It's not about reinventing Rails. It's about giving you the flexibility that Sinatra allows, but also providing the support and the structure that you need to build kind of better architected applications. And part of that is encouraging people to keep their apps small. So you don't want a monolithic Sinatra app. You do not want a monolithic Petrino app. And some of the functionality of Petrino kind of helps you get there easier than you would have otherwise.
3: So you're making Padrino sound really, really good. And I'm wondering if I've decided that Rails is just, you know, too opinionated and too large, and I'm picking between Padrino and Sinatra, is there a situation where Sinatra would win?
5: I would say on that end that uh, you definitely want to use Sinatra if you're doing, say, a presentation layer for a simple model or some uh, very simple data layer, totally. And as, you know, Nathan said, the good thing is that you can sort of build up on top of it and you don't really need to get to have say the full Padrino stack on that sense. But uh you know that you count with uh whatever modules we have uh to enhance your app if you felt that it just grew too much as well. So
4: and one nice thing is that uh, from a benchmarking perspective, this is actually somewhat unique about Padrino, is that in benchmarks, Padrino and Sinatra actually are almost always roughly the same. So you know obviously take benchmarks for what they're worth. But we find that you know a, a properly done Padrino app is only as slow as you, you choose for it to be. So you know if you don't use the helpers, obviously helpers are going to slow you down a little bit. Um, if you don't use those, and everything else essentially maintains the same speed as Sinatra, and it's all 100% backwards compatible. What that means is that you could literally copy and paste your Sinatra routes into a Padrino app, and it would just work. You don't have to actually think about Sinatra and Padrino separately. Padrino is simply extensions to Sinatra, but every extension is fully backwards compatible. So it's actually kind of nice. You could start with Sinatra and throw in modules with Padrino to experiment. You don't have to be stuck to the entire stack. Say you do start with Sinatra and you want to migrate to Padrino. Uh, Since the code all is backwards compatible, you can literally just replace the word Sinatra application, you know, in the extends uh, for the class with Padrino application, and it'll continue to work as it did before. But now you're just given all of this extra functionality for free.
0: Like I said, I like to build uh, apps just starting with Sinatra, and so I've definitely felt the pain that this addresses. I wonder, though, is it a good idea to, like, if you haven't used any of these frameworks before, maybe if you've just used Rails, is it a good idea to start with just Sinatra and feel that pain before jumping into something pe- like Padrino? Because I feel like if I hadn't used Sinatra and started sort of rebuilding some of these things from scratch... I wouldn't have as good an understanding of of when to apply them and where they fit in as you know, and I might overuse some of those things when I don't even really need them.
4: I think you bring up a great point there. Actually, uh, I do a lot of teaching. That's kind of my, my full time thing now. And and one thing that I teach a lot is is web de- is some web development stuff. And uh, I always start with just plain Sinatra first. I used to do a lot of teaching at Rails uh, workshops, and I discovered that even at Rails uh, boot camps, even fully fledged boot camps, like Dev Bootcamp in San Francisco that are teaching Rails, even they always start with Sinatra, actually, surprisingly enough. And it makes sense. It's because with Sinatra, in six lines, I can show somebody the mapping between a URL and a website, a URL to an action, uh, and it's very, very cleanly mapped. And not only that, but uh, you really get an understanding of, you know, what exists at the base level when you're building web apps, versus all this extra stuff on top. And, and Rails is great. I mean, I love Rails. I've, I've used Rails for, you know, quite a while now, all the time. But one thing that it does is that it includes so many modules out of the box, so many folders that, I mean, if you take a beginner and you generate a Rails app, I mean, there's like 97 files and folders that you have to explain, right? Literally. So it's like, that's a lot to take in at first. So I, I, I'm actually with you, curious to see what, other, what the others think. But I think starting with Sinatra first, experiencing how Sinatra works, playing around with the routing system, maybe getting a little frustrated with things that you're missing, and then kind of slowly loading in Padrino or including modules from Padrino as needed is a great way to get started with Padrino. Now, at the same time, on the same token, if you're coming to Ruby development from another language, I've had a number of people tell me that they found Padrino to be a great transition from, say, Django. So if you're coming from Python and you want to jump into Ruby, Padrino is very, very, uh, it adopts a lot of the patterns and philosophies from Things like Django, it's much more explicit. Uh, it's very clear when things are being included. It's very non-magical. Everything's very specific, so you understand how it all fits together. So yeah, f- from that perspective, I think um, starting with Sinatra makes sense. Starting with a basic Padrino app makes sense. In both cases, you get a lot more of a look under the hood of how web applications work. And I think that that's really important. Padrino does not have a scaffold function. It does not have a scaffold function. That was not an oversight. That was an intentional choice.
3: That's interesting because um when I learned Rails, we started with Sinatra too. And I remember kind of being very frustrated because Sinatra felt very magical. And then when we went from Sinatra to Rails. Rails felt like exponentially more magical. And I wonder if the <laughs> difference, you know, wouldn't have felt as jarring if maybe we had done Padrino in the middle. And so I'm wondering from a teaching perspective, do you think it makes sense to go from Sinatra and then Padrino and then Rails?
4: I've actually seen people try that. And to, to some good success, uh, some of the coding camps I've talked with that's exactly what they do. They they start with Sinatra base, and then they present a problem, a use case, like, okay, I want to render this template, and I want to add this form. How do I do that? Here's how I do it in Sinatra. Okay, well, now let's do this in a slightly simpler way. And then they, they add an include line for the helper, and then they do it the, the Padrino helper way. And then they say, okay, I want to send an email. How do I do that? And so, yeah, it's like you can kind of start with Sinatra, which is sort of like, Uh, You said somewhat magical, although, you know, explicit enough that you kind of get what's going on pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then you can layer in the use cases as they come up and actually demonstrate step by step what it looks like without these helpers and with these helpers uh, within the same context until you've essentially kind of rebuilt all of the helpers and magic, you know, that that you need to build a, a complex application. And I think when you're teaching, layered complexity is the key. This is something I've seen time and time again, is that gradually introducing layers upon layers and helping people understand how those layers fit together and how they're related is really the only way for people to really understand web development. And so uh, Sinatra and the Padrino module system, it really makes it easy to kind of do that layered approach to teaching. And and that's something I I definitely advocate for a lot. Mm
2: I am wondering, so we talked a little bit about when should you just go with the Sinatra app as opposed to Padrino app. I'm wondering, are there cases where Rails really shines over Padrino? I mean, it seems like you're trying to replace the the case where you sort of re-implement Rails on Sinatra to a certain degree. But I am wondering, what are the trade-offs between the, the two sort of larger frameworks?
5: Personally, on that end, I think, um, I don't think there's anything really that Padrino lacks not to be able to compete with Rails on that sense probably right now it would be the say the whole asset pipeline integration that we are still debating which way would be the best to integrate in padrino but you can also get you know uh, get around with like SP rockets and that's not a problem at all so I'd say that all you know it's really more um, a matter of how you decide to architecture application but there is nothing there that would prevent you to build uh, really big apps actually as a matter of fact we last that in Twitter before and they asked us you know to talk about our experiences building big applications with padrino Uh, We built quite a few in the different companies we work with, and we've never encountered any issues whatsoever uh, when the application scaled. And uh, I think most of it comes because we split it uh, properly, you know, separating these concerns into multiple applications.
0: Does Padrino add any helpers for internationalization? Uh, Yeah, we do, yeah
4: it has full support for internationalization so if you render templates with padrino the smart renderer that we use it will automatically consider your locale and it, it has full support for like string translations and all the other things it, it just uses uh it, it leverages the existing uh, internationalization libraries that you can kind of plug in uh, and it gives you some helpers on top to make it really easy
1: oh, very
0: cool
4: so we've talked about
1: pluggability and one of the questions i had before this show is that pluggable apps seem like a solution to a very heavyweight kind of problem and since Padrino is such a lightweight framework, how does pluggability fit? I think, Nathan, I think you've addressed that a little bit, which is that the idea is to take a very heavyweight problem, break it into smaller problems, into smaller apps, and plug them in. And it sounds like Padrino makes it easier to plug things in to encourage that type of architecture. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but especially because the the follow-up question I have is, you said that you can gemify your apps. Does Padrino make it so that I can write, say, like an admin app, or a, a payment transaction app, and gemify it, and then turn around and go to another application in another repository, plug that gem into that gemified app. Can I stack gems? Is what I'm asking.
4: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question, and the answer to that is uh, uh, y- you actually can. So it works like any it works like any gem. Cool. Basically, uh, if you add them to the gem spec, r- literally, the uh-huh. is just like any other gem. So adding an app to your project literally works exactly the same or not exactly the same, but, you know, reasonably similarly to adding any other gem that you would add. So for example, just as one simple case, the Padrino admin functionality, which is the built-in admin panel for Padrino is actually just a gemified, basically sub app that gets loaded into your, your project. And that can be done by anybody. So if you want to build a reusable Padrino uh, sub app that can be loaded into an overall project you know, it's literally as easy as just adding a line to your gem file or even loading the, you know, the source code for that app into the sub app folder. So yeah, it's, it, it's built literally from, it's pretty much built from the ground up to, to encourage that kind of behavior and to, to have you thinking about how to architecture your project in a more modular and service oriented way from day one. So for example, if you have an app so complex and so huge and so monolithic that you're like, oh man, I really wish this was in Rails, uh, which I don't think typically happens, but say you did, I would (laughs) actually argue that you didn't actually think about your architecture properly. I've never had a complex app that couldn't be broken up into discrete modules that are easier to test, easier to scale, et cetera. So um, I I think part of Padrino is kind of forcing you down a a more sensible path from an architecture perspective.
0: Could you give us an example of an application that you broke down into modules and and just given us an idea of where you drew the lines?
4: I think it depends on the application, obviously, right? One simple example is like, uh, you know, you could have a authentication layer. So you have a, a service, uh, which manages authentication across all of your different microservices. And that service is essentially like an authentication API and an authorization API, which is separate from the rest of your app. And it only communicates using, you know, a specific set of, you know, specific set of integration points. So for example, it's sort of like imagine you have your own sort of baked in warden where you basically have like your own authentication layer and then all of your other apps are supported by it. And then you have your admin layer where you see your data. And this is where like you and your team looks at your data and all the admin information that can be its own application. And then you have your API layer. Say you have like a restful API with your app that can be its own application. And then say you have, you know, a, a different stakeholders. You have a, you have shop owners who create information for their shops. Then the shop creation side could be its own application. And the consumption side, so the storefronts, could be its own application. And they only share certain boundary points. So, for example, maybe they share models, some models, or they share maybe some layouts. But in general, you try to minimize the amount of overlap and the amount of things that, the amount of coupling between your individual sub-apps. Does that make sense? So just different pieces of your application are extracted out into separate Progeno sub-modules that are all loaded and tested separately. You
0: mentioned sharing layouts. Is that something that it makes pretty easy?
4: Yeah, it's, it's built in basically. So any app can depend on other apps, kind of like gems. So say mm-hmm. that you have an app, like for example, take the storefront, right? The storefront is going to require authentication, obviously. And it's going to require some models from another app. So you can have you know, app dependencies. And then you can say this app requires this app to work. And then you can say load the layout from this app or load the, mo- the model from this app. Um, so you can basically cross over when necessary between your sub-apps. Um, obviously, you want to minimize that as much as possible, but there are cases where it makes sense to have shared models. And so, for example, in a project, you can actually have shared layouts or shared models that um, are sort of like a grab bag that any of the, the uh, applications can pull from. Or you can include those within the individual application and then declare dependencies between apps. So it's it's pretty flexible from that perspective.
5: One uh, when- good use case that I put as well there uh, would be probably to do API versioning. That's extremely handy and super easy to do with Perino as well. And if you have, say, multiple teams developing those, uh, that's not a problem at all. Jam- Jamifying the apps is really easy to separate them and then just mount them wherever you need them. And as Nate said, you can also share your models there, you know, the parts that are common. And uh, the good thing as well is that um, whenever you see fit, Uh, you can always separate these apps into completely different apps, mount them in totally different places that are not sharing the same space. And and that's also not a problem at all for Padrino itself.
4: Yeah, many times, I mean, we can talk about this at a different time, but many times I've had a a single project with like five or six sub-apps. And then as our our company scales, what I'll do is I'll actually move the individual sub-apps into their own projects and have them running separately. And so I can scale my API layer horizontally, completely independently from my, my web front end. Um, and they won't won't really bother each other. So it just makes it really, really easy to start with a single project and multiple sub-apps, and then eventually move those into fully-fledged services.
1: There's a problem that I run into in that type of architecture, and I wonder if you could speak to it, because I'm I'm sure you've hit on it. You you touched on one approach to it, which was loading models from another app, which kind of violates the service-oriented encapsulation. Really? If you visualize, I'm, a, I'm an extremely visual person, so I'm going to draw, draw you a word picture here. If you visualize pluggable apps as this root system of a tree, basically, right, you've got this top-level node that's your main Padrino app, and then underneath it, it's got these little sub-apps branching down, and it's great when two branches of the root system have absolutely nothing to do with each other, right? They, those absolutely should be isolated concerns, have nothing to do with each other, but all too often, branches start needing to talk to the same models. Like like you talked about having different stakeholders. So you might have a person in a call center who is looking up customer information and placing orders. And this person can't really get into too much trouble. They can't get into a lot of the, the private information for that customer or that client. But then you have another stakeholder who is like the accounting auditor And they have to be able to get to all of the transaction data. So these are two two stakeholders that are looking at the same data. And I would make the argument that they're actually looking at different models because they can see different things and they can do different things. That's the definition of a different class to me even though they are the same database table in the database having preloaded the question a little bit like that the visual root system starts to become diamond shaped right you've got padrino at the top you've got a single database at the bottom and then you've got this as you come down from, from padrino the roots widen out into all the different apps and then they start to narrow back down to a common like data backend type thing how do you deal with like a diamond shaped hierarchy And as any XC++ programmer knows, diamonds are bad. Diamonds are awesome, but that's just me. I also love threads, so.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So it's a great question. I mean, I think it's a really, really good question. And there are a couple different ways to think about it. So one thing is, there's different options you have when you're in a service-oriented architecture. One thing you can do is that you have one core application that actually manages the database, and then everybody else works through Mm -hmm. API layers. So literally, like, client for your own app. And imagine that you had, for example, I've had this before, where you have an app which its sole responsibility is basically to act as a REST client that allows me to get and modify data on my database. And all of my other sub apps simply leverage that documented client in order to access models and information. This especially works well for API-based apps, right? So if you're purely just, uh, you have you have two stakeholders and or three stakeholders who are all acting on the same basic data with different roles then there's really no reason that those can't be using a shared API. So rather than having all of those apps all touching the models and touching the database, which is kind of dirty in some ways, you could just have a single app focused on the database, and then everybody else is simply leveraging APIs to get that data or to modify that data. So that's that's Uh one approach you can take. Another approach you can take in the early days, keep in mind that you don't have to do this approach overnight, right? Premature optimization is something that's really unnecessary. So for example, you could start out where you have a Podrino project with four or five apps, and maybe they're all just using shared models. Because remember that if they're all in the same project, you actually have the flexibility to have shared models between all of the projects. And yeah, yes. that is a little dirty, but it, you know, when you're first starting out, it's a lot better than not having separate apps at all, right? Yeah. And then as you start to scale in complexity, say you want to uh, remove some of the dirty aspects of having every app touching the same models, it's like what you said. In some cases, you're absolutely right. In some cases, the models are actually entirely different even though the data is the same. And so rather than using an API layer, the other option is to actually have each of the apps maintain its own models that are relevant for its particular domain, and then they all just happen to share the same database table. Um, So you're right. In Mm -hmm. some cases, you're going to have the diamond structure with six apps and different models that are all leveraging the same table. In other cases, you're going to have six apps that are all literally just sharing the same models within a single project. And in other cases, you're going to have a true SOA or service-oriented system, where they're not all touching the same models, it's not so they're not putting their greedy fingers on on every single data item. Instead, you just work through kind of a shared API to manage and, and modify the data. So I think it somewhat depends on the on the app and the project, and you know the scale and 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 other and other considerations. But the nice thing is that Sinatra and Padrino, uh Pedrino in particular, in this case, really gives you the opportunity to think about it early enough that it's not an enormous pain. Once you do want to start splitting it up and, and I will tell you that I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of different companies on contracts. I've done a lot of apps and there does come a point where, you know, you deeply wish that you had a service oriented architecture for a variety of different reasons. And so yeah. making it really easy to get there by thinking about it upfront without a whole bunch of extra work. Uh, I think it affords you a lot of flexibility as you run into problems with your app and you know you want to scale, you want to optimize, or, or you want to split things out or have separate teams that all have ownership over different pieces of your project. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how I, I look at it.
1: That is interesting because mm-hmm. you just flipped the mental picture in my head where, like, if you've ever drawn out the database diagram for a has and belongs to many table, mm-hmm. instead of viewing Padrino at the top and your database at the bottom, what if you'd rotate it 90 degrees, you've got Padrino at one side, and then you've got your many-to-many join table in the middle, which is all of your apps and your services. And then you've got this other service off to the right, which is your data access service.
4: That's a, one way to think about it. And actually, yeah. in many cases, that's the most, I would say, architecturally clean way to think about it. Because you know, you want to have an API layer anyway, right? Who doesn't want to have a clean, restful API layer these days? I mean, yeah. most apps honestly are just clean API layers with a JavaScript and mobile front-end, right? And so if yeah. you're thinking about the world of, of that, then all of a sudden it starts to make a lot of sense. You have an authorization and authentication module API. You have a, an admin panel for your, for your projects. You have a API for this. You have an API for that. Maybe they're even separate services if, if they're totally different aspects of your app. And all of a sudden, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a flipped kind of diagram where all the aspects of your app are basically just leveraging shared APIs to communicate. And yeah, and it works very well. I mean, it does add overhead, obviously to simple sure. apps. So it's not for every app, but absolutely, yeah, it's a, it's a great option for things where you want to keep things nice and architecturally clean.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about one detail of Petrino. Probably the first point at which I find myself thinking, hmm, Sinatra is actually a little bit lightweight for my needs in any app that I do, is the point where I realize that I need to embed URLs in my views. Obviously, you know, you need links. And I realize I'm hard coding URLs because, well, not hard coding, but, you know, effectively hard coding paths. Yeah. Uh, because Sinatra makes it very easy to set up routes, but it does not give you reverse mapping. It doesn't give you a way to, to say, you know, give me the logical route to this resource, you know, whatever URL that happens to turn out to be. Is that something that Petrino helps with?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Petrino you know, has a set of helpers that would let you pick up any URL that you have named, uh, somehow. So when you define them, you can give them a name and then you can reference them anywhere else as well.
4: Yeah, and it uses namespaces as well. So basically, just as an example, say you have a a simple blog, so you'll have a posts route namespace, and then you will have named routes, so you'd have like index or show or whatever you want the names to be. And then you can simply reference uh, any route at any time by simply asking the system for the URL for a particular namespace and a particular named route. So yeah, uh, that's actually one of the many things the router that we we created affords, but um, absolutely... uh, You know, we've added a number of things on top of the standard Sinatra router. We still support Sinatra routes, but we've added a number of extensions that give you some of that power that you need when you're building, you know, actual applications.
2: So are there any good tutorials or videos or things like that out there for Padrino?
4: Um,
6: Yeah, there's the Padrino book that's uh, Wiki, is it WikiMutz has been working on? You can take a look at it. It's padrinobook.com. And then also our, our main site has a pretty good tutorial on how to use the Padrino framework.
2: Are there any large apps out there that are using Padrino?
4: I mean, I can speak from from my side of things. So I know that uh, Davide, one of the ah. other founders, he, he has a consulting company and he's actually, it's, it's one of the larger ones in Italy and he actually uh, generates, um, I think he's generated something like over a hundred Padrino applications there, some of which are of varying sizes. I know that uh, outside of us, a number of companies actually use Padrino. Like We actually have a projects page called uh, Projects Using Padrino and some of those projects are, are, are fairly large. We know that Adobe uses uh Padrino internally for a number of different tools. Um and there's there's hundreds of other projects that, that at least that we know of, some of which are, you know, like I said, if done right, they're actually not a, a single complex app, but they are, you know, fairly substantial. We know there's a startup in San Francisco called Zarly that uh that uses Padrino for their their entire like you know API and and back end and front end, or at least used to potentially. Maybe that's changed. Uh, Arthur,
6: do you have other examples? Just Machinima, I think they're still using Padrino. Um, they're a gaming yep. company. I'm not sure you guys are familiar. So they're using Padrino. Yeah, the list is pretty extensive. Machinima is probably the biggest one I can think of, and the one that uh, the B has been working on.
3: How old is Padrino?
6: 2000, when did we start working on this? 2009?
4: 2008? Yeah, I usually say five or six years. I have to actually look at the first commit, because as Arthur mentioned, we actually were working on a precursor to Padrino even you know a year or two before that. Uh, called Sinatra Moore and when, when, actually when we were in college. So it must have at least been, yeah, probably something like six or seven years now that we've been working on, on these, these extensions in, in various ways.
3: Nice. So what do you think is the, the future of Virginia? Where do you want it to go?
4: We're at point 12 now. So we're actually not even at a 1.0 release, uh, after all these years for various reasons. But, uh, we have a number of, of things on the roadmap to 1.0. So we've always mentioned that at 1.0, the, the major things that we, uh, that we wanted to add was uh, we really need to replace our router. So for a a number of reasons, right now the router is not thread safe um, and there's some issues with it. So Namu Siaka, who's one of the core contributors, he's worked on a a really awesome uh, replacement, which is called Pendragon, which is a lightning fast router, which we're going to replace into Padrino before 1.0. We're also working on a a better authentication module. So basically we want to have like a Padrino version of device, And uh, it's something we're we're working on actively right now. We want to do full threading support and also asynchronous support. So basically, if you want to have a fully threaded uh, app, we want it to be, you know, no locks, as 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 multi threaded as possible on frameworks like JRuby uh, or uh, you know runtimes like JRuby. And uh, there's a couple other things, like for example, uh, we want to do a complete refresh of our site as well as our docs and uh, you know get the book underway. So just basically improving the documentation, improving the site. Uh, improving the router authentication. So a lot of these major modules. Um, and then I think also there's a number of other things that I think we've, we're have we discussing right now. Dario, do you have any other uh, kind of items that's top of mind for for
5: the 1.0 release? Well, I'd say that one of those would be that we definitely want to get to have every part of Padrino be modular, fully modular. I mean, right now you can mount pretty much uh, most of it in, a uh, say, Sinatra or something. But for instance, the routes are not, that flexible yet yeah, as to be able to just port them around and, and, and use them in different scenarios. Uh, so those are one of them, I'd say. And one of the things we found as well was that the reloader needs a little bit of love there. So we are also working on that towards making it a bit um, a bit better and more reliable. And I guess that, um, at least from my end, most of the focus is towards uh, making it easy for developers to just scale quicker. And uh, when I say that, I mean... Um, uh, I don't know you guys, but like uh, most of our work comes towards uh, RESTful APIs. And I think that that's one of the biggest thing where uh, all these frameworks should be helping towards either helping you generating yeah, your API documentation so different users can consume it and uh, just making it easy to sort of scale them up with like all the um, uh, versioning and authentication and so on and so forth. So I would say, yeah, it, it's on the lines of that. So, so-
3: once you get to 1.0, or how do you hope that Padrino is positioned compared to Sinatra and Rails at that point, at the point where you've kind of finished up a lot of the things that you're excited about?
4: From my perspective, like, I think the ideal positioning for us is one thing we learned from Sinatra is that we don't want to continually take on scope. So we don't want to be constantly, you know, just adding features for the sake of adding them or, or adding more and more complexity into it. We actually want to keep Padrino pretty lean and, and, and really fast and have it be very aggressively scoped. Like Sinatra is just as well known for what it says no to as for what it says yes to. And I like that philosophy. Basically not trying to be everything, not trying to be the kitchen sink, leave things to third-party libraries when it makes sense, um, leave things up to the individual developer. So I want to position Padrino as the framework of choice for people who are interested in building light microservices and service-oriented architecture. So if you're in Ruby and you want to build a, a web and a series of web services or you want to build a light API or you want to build um mountable Sinatra apps. Uh, in a maintainable way, if you were going to grab for Sinatra, you know, I would encourage you to look at including Padrino modules when needed, and or leveraging some of the flexibility that Padrino gives you gemifying your apps. Um, so I think that's really the kind of the key of it is like, for people who are, you know, power users who are as well as people who are new to Ruby, who are looking to build lightweight modular web apps and web services, I really want them to think about grabbing for Padrino. Uh, really in, in every case. I mean, I, I think that at any time you're going to use Sinatra, there's often a number of those modules from Pajuno that you will almost certainly be either plugging in or rebuilding from scratch pretty quickly. So I, I don't really think there's any reason not to leverage some of those features. And, uh, and I think some of the conventions and the setup that Pajuno gives you around generators to make it a lot easier to hook up components and to follow best practices. I think it makes it a really, really solid choice for for anybody looking to build um, basic web apps or or APIs in in Ruby.
0: One of the things that Rails has been getting dinged for uh, more and more lately is the lack of any real coherent intentional support for front-end frameworks like Angular. Is that something that you're thinking about and, and targeting at all?
4: Yeah, we actually all use things like that very, very heavily. And in fact, uh, I think Dario can speak to this and so can Arthur that uh, we're all big fans of Angular and Backbone. And and many of our applications now are, are just API backends and, and multiple kind of uh, web services that are leveraged by these JavaScript frameworks. We have a Padrino plugin system, which plugins are basically like uh, sort of like generators, but they're more extensive. And we can we can link to them uh but basically, the way it works is like we have generators for the core components in the Padrino library uh, in the framework, but we also have extended plugins as well. And uh, some of the things that we're, we're working on right now is making it literally a single line to load in all of the plumbing for, you know, getting Angular set up or getting Bower set up, uh, you know, so you can install your, your dependencies that way or getting Backbone set up. So basically... Uh, it, it's a huge uh, advantage of ours, I think, to encourage that kind of separation between the client and server. And so that's a, a big focus, I think, moving into 1.0 and, and beyond is is really thinking about how to make Padrino the best way of writing APIs, and also making it really, really easy to plug in and use JavaScript client framework. So it's, it's something that we already have support for, but we're going to be uh, documenting better and, and even making it you know, significantly improved in the next couple of versions.
5: Uh, one thing that we um, uh, really strive for is to let the best tool do the job and in that case particularly when we're talking about JavaScript and frontend related tools uh, I think that Power definitely wins and uh, we are using it extensively to um, create uh, and pull all the dependencies and then we just start building up on top of that I guess one of the things that probably we could probably um, work on uh, would be some sort of uh, integration with the front-end reloader and the likes, so that uh, it would just make it uh, easier. But you know, there are already tools that sort solve that issue, like Live Reload, and but most people just don't really want to be dealing with yet another tool when they are uh, setting up their workflow. So I guess that uh, we may explore that path as well.
4: Yeah, we're really excited by the, the kind of the prospect of even cleaner backends uh, and, and removing a lot of the templating from the back end. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where things are heading right now in a lot of, pretty clearly, I think in a lot of cases, but not every case. I mean, we want to support both. So there are plenty of people who are successfully not using JavaScript frameworks on the front end uh, for for loading templates. And we want to support all of those cases. And, and if you don't want to deal with back end templates, then just remove the Petrino helpers module and you don't need to think about it. So yeah, we, we just like to kind of keep it agnostic let developers make their own kind of informed decisions, basically.
5: And uh, one little tip there when uh, building APIs, uh, one thing that works really well is to use Rabble to render uh, your views. So you can easily render JSON, XML, whatever you need. And then you sort of abstract that from your model layer, and you can swap it around as well, and it just works really, really well. Use what
0: to to generate views? Uh, Rabble,
5: R-E-B-L. Yeah, R-E-B-L, yeah. Yeah, we, we
4: built Rabble to be, uh, you know, pretty much, fo- it's pretty much focused on Sinatra and Padrino. It works with Rails as well. But basically, what Rabble is, is it's, a, it's an agnostic platform for describing APIs. And so you can describe uh, your API in Ruby. And then you can have it output in JSON, XML, message pack, all the other output formats automatically based on that singular description of the uh, representation of the model. So it's just a really simple way of generating, uh, the API responses for your, for your code base.
2: I'm actually using it on devchat.tv.
4: Yeah. I actually built it out of a a pretty big pain point that I was having with Rails at the time. I was, I had a big Rails app and I was using two JSON for everything. This was a long time ago. I, I know there's a number of solutions today that are, that are pretty good, like active model serializers and those. But when I was doing Rails and Rails two, the two JSON approach was just breaking for me all the time as I was building, you know, real API responses. And it was really, really frustrating. And so, yeah, it was kind of just came out organically out of that frustration. And, uh, and and nowadays, there's there's a number of great solutions out there, uh, which I encourage you to check out for yourself. JBuilder, Active Model Serializers, Rabble. Um, there's a number of others that have sprung up out of that pain point. So uh, it's a much better world to be living in today, writing APIs uh, than it was just even four or five years ago, which is great. And uh, yeah, Sinatra really just can't be beat for for basic APIs. I mean, if you just want to write a simple, fast, lightweight API, I mean, Sinatra and Prudeno is just um, significantly easier. Many of you, many many people who've done Rails APIs, they know that it's kind of a pain, especially around the fact that you can't see your routes and your verbs inside the controller, right? So you're in the controller and you have no idea what the URLs or the uh, verbs that you're mapping to are unless you go to the routes file or if you just assume that it's following conventions. But with Sinatra the verbs, the URLs, and the actions are all in one place. And it might seem like a simple distinction, but it makes a significant difference when you're writing complex APIs. So definitely encourage people to check out, especially for APIs. Uh could not encourage you more to check out Ravel and Sinatra for things that are just simple restful backends.
1: I have a kind of a workflow-esque question. We've talked about how Padrino extends Sinatra and it's it's seamlessly backwards compatible. And when I first started looking at Padrino, what I was thinking was, man, what I really want is Sinatra, but I want to be able to just plug in OAuth and an image uploader and be done. So I sat down and I went, and of course, some of these gems do exist for Sinatra. You can you can get Sinatra OmniAuth and, and that sort of thing. Is this a, a really, I'm hoping the answer is yes, but is this a perfect use case for Padrino where... I sit down and like just now I did a gem search for auth. Well, I did a gem search Padrino and then I gripped for auth. And what I, I came back with two gems that are out there that do one does authorization and one does authorization and authentication. And we talked about devise earlier in the, in the show and that sort of thing. If I don't see what I need in Padrino, in the Padrino namespace of gems, is it like totally cool for me to just my workflow just to immediately go to the Sinatra gem space and say, oh, look, there's Sinatra OmniAuth. I can just grab that and plug that into, into my Padrino project and, I, and I'm good to go.
4: Yeah, you're on the right track there, absolutely. So uh, Padrino cool. is, is, is basically fundamentally Sinatra compatible in every way. So what that means is you're absolutely right. Uh, with Padrino apps, you have full access to the entire Sinatra ecosystem. So whether awesome. you want to load a Sinatra middleware or you want to load Sinatra libraries or any other Sinatra things all of those work. Uh, not I wouldn't say all, but eighty to ninety percent of them work uh, just as easily in Padrino. So yeah, it's a great point. That's uh, when we first started working on Padrino, It was one of the biggest reasons why we why we chose Sinatra rather than building our own framework. Right? I mean, we could have easily written our own framework, but the reason right. I didn't do that. Was because there was this beautiful Sinatra community and and community of plugins and, and and documentation and all these things and and it was great. Like it wasn't broken. You know, like I love Sinatra. I think the community for it and the plugins available and the rack middleware that you know you can kind of wrap easily in Sinatra helpers is, is a really really great approach. And and we do not want to break that. Uh, we didn't want to change it. We just wanted to make it even easier and even more maintainable than it was. So so yeah, that that's a great point to bring up. Actually, is the, the backwards compatibility.
1: That totally opens up. Like you say, the, the Sinatra ecosystem reduces my fear of going into Padrino and suddenly discovering that, oh no, now I'm trapped somewhere between Sinatra and Rails. And the answer is, no, nope, you can always fall back to Sinatra. That is cool.
4: Yeah, we, we really enjoy that. And, and what it also means for us is we don't have to reinvent the wheel every five seconds. You know, one thing right. with Padrino that we, we really took very seriously is if you look at the Padrino code base, I mean, you know, as much as possible, we try to avoid reinventing the wheel, like as much as possible. So, for example, for rendering, we just use Tilt. Tilt, a great rendering uh-huh. engine. It works for Sinatra. It works for us. For a long time, for Auth, we just left it up to the Sinatra Auth or, you know, the Omni-Auth for Rack Metalwares for Sinatra. So, yeah, we, you know, it's kind of part of our philosophy is, like, we, we really want to avoid, like, trying to think that we can do things better than things that already work really well uh, from the perspective of of light, you know, uh, modular services. So if, if we see a library for Sinatra that works well, we often just, you know, encourage people to use that rather than trying to rebuild our own version unless we have something to add. So if we, if we don't right. see ourselves as a value add, we try to kind of stay out of your business, so to speak.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. So what is the best auth library to use with Padrino?
4: Well, we're actually working on our own auth, which is actually going to be <laughs> built in dash <laughs> oh, <Padrino-off. Okay>. auth <laughs> I know it's funny, but the reason that we, we're working on our own one is because we're actually going to be building on top of Warden. And uh, essentially trying to... There's nothing quite as good, to be honest, as Devise for Sinatra yeah. or Padrino yet. Like, if you look into it, there's there's nothing as, as robust and, and comprehensive as Devise for Sinatra or Padrino. So yeah. we want to create, like, not exactly Devise because Devise is very Rails-esque, but we want to create sort of the equivalent for Sinatra and Padrino. And in fact, if possible, we want that auth to work for Sinatra just as easily as it works for Padrino itself. So it may end up actually being a Sinatra library rather than a Padrino library. We're still figuring out some of that, but yeah, we're right now. I would say Padrino warden is pretty good. Padrino dash warden. Uh, it, it gets the job done. It's simple, but it's, you know, I yeah. like warden. It's, it's rock solid. You know, it, it does everything you need. And uh, also the, the Padrino admin actually has a built-in auth system as well. So I think between Sinatra Auth, Padrino warden and, or the Padrino admin user authentication system, you know, I think most people's needs are met, but, but I think we can yeah. do better. So So it's something we're still working on. That
2: is very cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and do the picks. Avdi, do you want to start us off with the picks?
0: Uh, I don't have a lot to pick today. I think I'll just pick a program that I've actually been fiddling with while we were recording this episode. I've been having some trouble with my arm lately, some kind of nerve issue, which is probably related to sitting at a keyboard all day. And uh, so I've been attacking that in various ways. But one of the things I've been doing is I did get an ergonomic keyboard, and there's sort of a, a yak shave related to that, which is that now that I'm <laughs> messing with with various different configurations of keyboard, I'm having to finally learn how to touch type. I know, shock, shock, horror, I don't touch type. But some of these fancy ergonomic c- keyboards, they, they really kind of have the assumption that, that you can type without looking at your hands. So I'm having to do that. And uh, so I've been using various type, touch typing tutors. And uh, one of the ones that was recommended to me, I think on Parley... Uh, is a little program called TypeFu, which you can actually get on the Chrome web store. It's a Chrome app for like five bucks. And it's really nice. It's pretty simple, but it's really put together very nicely. And I've been liking it a lot. So I was actually doing uh, typing drills during this episode. So yeah, TypeFu. And uh,
1: I think I'll just leave it at that for now. Have you checked out typing.io? Yeah, to be honest,
0: I mean, I think it's it's kind of a cool idea. So typing at that's the one where you type in code, like they give you code to type, right? It just seems like a gimmick to me. I mean, no offense (laughs) to the people people behind it, but like I've messed around with it. But if I'm going to be typing code, I'm going to be typing code for my job. You know, or you know, or for fun, you know, I'm going to be typing <laughs> my yeah. own new code. I right. don't really feel a need to to practice typing by by typing somebody else's code.
1: Why would I ever want to practice doing the thing that I actually have to do? <laughs> exactly, I totally get it. Yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of like. I mean, the program I'm working with now, it's 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 doing one of those sort of scaled things where, as I get faster with a certain set of exercises, it basically you know adds a new key into the mix.
5: That's um, cool.
0: You know, step by step, and uh, and that's working pretty well for me that reminded me of another one there is another one whose name escapes me but i'll put it in the in the show notes it's just, just it's a bit goofier uh, as a typing tutor program but there's this this html5 video game where you basically have to type words in order to shoot spaceships and that
3: sounds it's, awesome it's,
0: it's kind of fun <laughs> so I'll, I'll find the name of that and i'll put that in the show notes too
2: that sounds way fun all right saran what are your picks
3: Sure, I have two. One is a site that I found out about yesterday, actually, on the CodeNewBee Twitter chat called caniuse.com. And it's mostly for front-end stuff, but, um, you get to pick, you know, different things like SVG fonts and gradients, and it, it, has a really nice display of what browsers, um, whether on, on mobile or desktop, uh, support, you know, the feature that you're trying to use in your front-end. Um, and it's really pretty, and it's, it's really nice. The second one that I also found out about recently is SourceGraph. And it's an app that allows you to essentially look up any functions, packages, any really code stuff that you want more information on. And and when you type it in, it pulls up open source libraries and examples of how people are using either that package or that function or that whatever it is. So it's great. Like uh, the other day, you know, I typed in just dot .inspect and it gave me a bunch of different examples of how it's used. Because I feel like a huge problem with, you know, learning, and especially as a beginner tool is you look at a method and you, you know, look at a definition of how people use it, but it's very different from seeing an example of it actually being used. So I really, really love the app. It's called Source Graph, And those are my two picks.
2: Awesome. David, have we heard your picks yet? We've not. I have two picks for today. The first one
1: is I've got a technical pick and then just a, a brain dead, silly, fun pick. The tech pick is uh, I've been shooting a lot of kind of like slow motion action type stuff, and I finally broke down and bought the GoPro camera. These are freaking awesome. I've got the GoPro Hero 3 Plus, which is the current edition of it. This thing will shoot at 720p. It'll shoot 120 frames a second, and in WVGA, which is wide VGA, so it's it's like 848 pixels by 480. It's, it's 16 by 9, but it's 480 pixels tall. It'll do 240 frames a second, so you can actually go out and like go shooting and you can actually see the bullet uh moving through the air i mean it's you don't get very many frames of the bullet cuz you know it 240 frames a second you only get like three frames but uh but you can actually see it it'll actually kind of stop motion and it does really really great stuff And I've been having a lot of fun with it. And I just, that's really all I can say about it is it's, it's a heck of a lot of fun. And you do want to pay attention to when you buy one, you want the three plus, not the three, because the three plus has a bunch of extra features. And I don't know why they decided to do this. These guys need to, these guys have no clue what semantic versioning is like because you can get the GoPro Hero three plus in white, black, or silver. And they are all the same color, but the black, has way more high... It's the latest version, or the best version, and the white is the simplest, and the silver is the in-between. So, I mean, like, literally, the white can't do the high frame rate, and the silver can only do 720 at 120 FPS, and the black can do wide VGA at 240 FPS. So, that's some amazing anti-semantic versioning there so so yeah uh, gopro hero 3 plus black edition is my first pick tech pick and then just for brain dead silliness harlock space pirate and this is an anime it's the same kind of rendering quality as the final fantasy movies so i mean just beautifully luscious rendering it's got a, a great storyline. The ending is a little bit quizzical and weird. So, I mean, if you like the Final Fantasy movies where not everything is perfectly resolved, but th- some things kind of are, it's a lot of fun. The thing that you I have to love this movie because I just wanted to stand up and cheer is that it's a pirate movie. So, there's a pirate ship. So, there is there are ships shooting broadsides at each other as they circle each other. There are boarding parties there are pirates swinging across on ropes from one ship to another but it's all in space so the pirates are wearing space suits when they jump from one ship to another and the cannons are laser cannons and it's just ridiculous i mean your suspension of disbelief has to be rated at not less than 500 metric tons if you can't suspend that much disbelief Don't even bother with this movie. But if you want a whimsical, silly, outrageous bit of anime, Harlock Space Pirate will do it for you. I absolutely loved it. And those are my picks.
2: Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and just do one pick. It is called LootCrate.com. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but basically what it is is it's a subscription service, and every month you get a box of cool stuff. So the last month was Villains, And so I got a couple of smaller posters of uh, Batman villains. I got a Darth Vader keychain. I got a couple of comic books. And it comes in this nifty box. And it's way cool. I I liked it. I also got a t-shirt that had just some artist's rendering of a mix of, of Joker and Loki. And he called it Jokey. And anyway, I thought it was a cool shirt. So anyway, I, I thought it was really cool. So, uh, I'll put my referral code for loot crate in there, but I, I think it's great. This month they're doing heroes. So I'm really curious to see what they come up with. Apparently they have licensing deals with like Star Wars and most of the comic book stuff. And so you just get a whole bunch of really awesome stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to get my box this month. Yeah, that's my pick. Uh, Nathan, what are your picks?
4: I think I'll, I'll stick with less exciting picks for today. Just, uh, some new Ruby libraries that I think are interesting. So basically, uh, just, I'll just mention three that, that I think are, are kind of fun. So shout outs to, uh, Scorched RB, which is another take at, at building a, a better kind of maintainable Ruby framework. Uh, pac which is another kind of an interesting take on, on, uh, like I said, kind of doing Ruby web development in a totally different way. And, uh, and Lotus RB, which is the newest. Uh, Lotus RB is, uh, built by Luca, uh, Luca Goody. And uh, I was looking at it recently and I thought it was a very, very interesting approach as well. So, you know, I, I always like to keep, uh, uh, you know, on the forefront of what's the latest in, in terms of the web development, de- you know, paradigms for Ruby. And uh, just, you know, encourage people to check out uh, Pacquiao, Lotus and uh, Scorched.
5: Awesome. Dario, what are your picks? I could point out as well, uh, on the technical side, I'd say, uh, that on the Ruby land, I would encourage you to have a look at Spider Gazelle, um, which is a, a, new application server, um, we started building a while ago and it's based on UP. So it's, um, extremely fast. It has a really low footprint and it just, like, it handles WebSocket connections like crazy. So it's really, really good to look at. Then on the front end, probably, I would say, uh, that you should definitely have a look at Flux and a pattern that Facebook presented not a long while ago. Um, we've been using it since pretty much it came out and I must say that it definitely helps you get your UI and, and the interactions between data and the likes uh, very well structured. And um, then one last one that is like more personal thing is uh, this site called olife.com that it's, uh, it's kind of handy because it's you, you write an email, it sends you an email every day and you just reply with something, whatever you feel like. And then it brings back things that you did in the past and it's sort of nice to um, help you keep track of what you're up to and what you've been doing, you know, which is quite easy to forget. So that's it. Awesome. Arthur, what are your picks? I'll
6: go with a Vim one. Something called Unite Vim. So if you guys use Vim, uh, it allows you to create user interfaces. A lot of times you have Control-P that allows you to search files. And also you might want to do stuff like uh, regex for uh, certain text and files. So Unite actually creates a unified way. So I don't need to have like three or four separate plugins. So with one plugin, I can have these custom commands that allows me to see everything within one buffer. So it's pretty handy. And a fun one, or useful one, I think, is something called omw.im on my way. It's an iPhone app. I've been using it. And it allows you to tell your friends or your family, like I'm going to arrive at a certain time, and it tracks you as you're on your way there. And then when you get there, like it stops tracking.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for coming, guys, and thanks for uh, helping us figure out what this Padrino thing is all about. Um, I'm I think, excited. Yeah, I think there's some folks out there that are really going to be able to take advantage of this, and it's definitely on my list now. So,
4: yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for having us. It, you know, it's always fun to chat about you know, what development frameworks and, and why we built Petrino. And, you know, yeah, thanks again for having us on. I, I appreciate it.
5: And on that sense, one note there, uh, you can always find us on IRC, Twitter, anywhere. Just go on the GitHub issues. Um happy to help. Great. What's your uh, IRC channel? It's uh, hashtag Petrino and um, net
2: Okay, cool. And uh, just a reminder, we are still working on reading the Refactoring Ruby Edition book, so go pick that up. We're going to be talking to Martin Fowler about it in October, so look forward to that as well. Thanks for listening, we'll catch you on next week. A special thanks to HoneyBadger.io for sponsoring Ruby Rogues. They do exception monitoring, uptime, and performance metrics, and are an active part of the Ruby community. Working and learning from designers at Amazon and Quora, developers at SoundCloud and Heroku, and entrepreneurs like Patrick Ambron from Brand Yourself. You can level up your design, dev, and promotion skills at Level Up Con, taking place October 8th and 9th in downtown Saratoga Springs, New York. Only two hours by train from New York City, this is the perfect place to enjoy early fall at Oktoberfest while you mingle with industry pioneers in a resort town in upstate New York. Get your ticket today at levelupcon.com. The space is extremely limited for this premium conference experience, so don't delay. Check out levelupcon.com now. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more. Would you like to join the conversation with the Rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at RubyRogues.com slash parlay